Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome, everyone, to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm your host, Dorothy Koshu, and I want to welcome my guests today, Ted Mayashiba and Ted Flitner from Aditi Group, our IT security, technology, and high-tech partners, to begin this two-part series on cybersecurity. As I'm sure you all know, it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Dorothy. It's great to be here. This is Ted Flitner. Thank you, Dorothy. This is Ted Mayashiba. And uh, we like to say that it's really always Cyber Awareness Month. That's every month, uh, every year, every day. <laughs> of course you would, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> well, the story seems to never end. Every time we chat, you know, there are more and more cyber attacks in the news. And I'm sure there are a lot more that aren't in the news. Um, it's just a never-ending cycle. And before we got on to record this today, I scanned the Internet just to see the various list of cyber attacks in 2022. And, oh, my gosh, it's overwhelming. There were websites and news channels. There was a cable network, which was Cox Communications. There were school districts, including one in Michigan, Wisconsin, Texas, Pennsylvania. And I'm sure everybody on the West Coast has heard the L.A. Unified School District. And then there were other companies like Uber. There were counties attacked including Suffolk County, New York, Fremont County, Colorado, and of course, all kinds of medical centers. That always happens. I heard the New Hampshire Lottery website was hacked, American Airlines, DoorDash, freight companies. I mean, the list is just overwhelming. I mean, it just seems like everybody's being attacked in some fashion. So my question is, is this ever going to end? Can we do anything to stop it? Let's talk about all of this. Well, those are, uh, those are two different uh, questions, two different answers. Um, is it ever going to end? No. Is there things that we can do to stop this? Yes, and we're going to talk about those things today. Well, let's start with the ones that hit close to home for many of our listeners. L.A. Unified School District, what happened and what was done to mitigate? So that is close to home. We, we can't say exactly what happens. Um, we can say that the cyber gang Vice Society has claimed uh, responsibility, and they've been hitting other schools nationwide. They've been hitting other organizations nationwide. Uh, Vice Society said that they stole 500 gigabytes, that's half a terabyte of sensitive data, uh, before ransomware was detected. Uh, that was a Saturday night before Labor Day. And basically during the attack, the facilities network was encrypted. Uh, staff stopped it from getting to other systems by shutting down other systems. Basically, they just shut things down kind of across the board and gradually have been bringing things back online. What was in the news is they ordered a reset of I think more than 600,000 account passwords across the whole district. Um, a lot of people in a lot of different roles. Um, and then uh, text discovered that the password reset system was partially compromised as well. So that kind of slowed things down. So it's been this kind of like um, slow unfolding. Um, but there's still an ongoing investigation. Um, there's no public uh, statements as to what exactly, you know, how exactly it kind of came in. Um, Vice Society has um, kind of similar patterns in how they work. They basically uh, try to find credentials that are leaked on the internet somewhere that you know can get you into some kind of public-facing uh, network access, and they try to go sideways, up and over, up and over. You know, it's a sophisticated enough group 
but they don't use any you know real unique um, software of their own. They haven't necessarily invented anything of their own. They're using tools that are out there. It's ongoing. Um, it's it's affected as we said. You know, this is the second largest school district in America. Um, so you know, why would they hit the school? And that was going to be my next question. Why do you think they're going after school districts so much this year? Uh, why are they so vulnerable? The the apocryphal quote was attributed to Willie Sutton when asked, why do you rob banks? Was because that's where the money is. Schools have all the data needed for opening credit card accounts for people under 18. They've got social security numbers. They've got addresses. When are all these students of today going to discover they have bad credit? Well, likely not for many years. When they start opening up credit accounts, when they start getting their own credit cards, um, that's when they'll probably likely be discovered. So in the meantime, the bad actors will be able to go out with fake credit cards, you know, uh, and run them up to the credit limit and then abandon them. We saw this back in 2008 in the midst of the recession when people were, were discovering that they can get real social security numbers from kids from newborns on up and then go to the credit card companies and say, here, here's here's a social security number. It's a, a name. It's an address. Give me some credit. The other, the other reason is there's a bunch of parental PII also available on the school district systems. So there's a whole treasure trove of goodies there that can be sold on the dark web for for a good price. Yeah, that's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, really, really, schools are, you know, schools are big fat targets. They're massive organizations. They've got sensitive data, which means they're valuable data. Uh, they've got many locations. So there's complexity there, thousands of users, and a lot of those users are low-tech users. And these are, these are public organizations. And, you know, so they don't necessarily have the budget focus, kind of the high-profile budget focus on cybersecurity as, you know, maybe a business might. And, you know, you know, so there's a lot of complexity there, a lot of, you know, kind of ripe opportunity there. Um, and they haven't been highlighted so much. Um, and now they're getting attention. Um, but the, the truth is schools are not the only targets here. You know, ransomware and cyber attacks are targeting now everyone. You know, everyone in some way is getting hit and, and is, you know, some way a target. Just as we've all been kind of targets, if you will, for spam, um, there's this non-targeted spray and pray approach just throw it out there and see who's, you know, um, lazy enough or uh, not paying attention enough to accidentally click on something bad or the approach that's very, very targeted. And we're going to see um, in some of these uh, stories, there's more and more of the targeted uh, approach that's going on. Yeah. So schools are being targeted in, in some ways. They're also being, um, they're being hit just in the same way general spam is out there. Okay, so people think that, you know, governments, cities, counties, et cetera, should be safe, but obviously they're not. Can you talk a little bit about the counties and the other public entities besides the schools that were attacked this year? Sure. The amount of data that municipalities deal with has grown ex exponentially. However, their budgets for cybersecurity have not grown in proportion. Really, who wants to see their taxes raised? Raise your hand if you're happy to see your tax bill go up, even if it's for increase cybersecurity in your municipality. When I worked for a municipality, the staff was overwhelmed just taking care of day-to-day -day operations. Adding cybersecurity was an onerous task above and beyond their call of duty. 
the best we could do is a slow step-by-step approach. Criminals have no such budget constraints. They're constantly improving their techniques and finding new ways to get into computer systems. Increasing self-service for the public, uh, allowing people to do their own inquiries and be able to make their own payments, uh, things of that sort, increases the attack surface where the bad guys can get into the system. The folks designing these systems don't always think about implementing best security practices in their design. They're really in the just get her done. That's the common mantra in most municipalities and public agencies. Yeah, and so uh, one of the fun ones here is, you know, Suffolk County, that's Long Island, uh, New York. Um, this is still very much in play. This just, just uh, started the beginning of September. You know, September has been a busy month for cyber things. Uh, in this case, it was Black Cat who took credit for a ransom attack on government servers. Uh, they claim to have four terabytes of data, right? That's eight times the amount of data that uh, Vice Society says they you know, took from LAUSD. Uh, that includes, you know, information on individual residents, a lot of that from, uh, there's a, a domain that's uh, clerk.county.suf, uh, that's a domain. Uh, you know, again, as, as Ted said, it's, it's these public-facing services that allow you to look at your license, renew your license, do your real estate transactions, look at your, you know, tax bills and so on. Uh, the, all that attack surface. So, you know, the fun thing there for New York, <laughs> for Long Island, is that you know they've been without a lot of those services, uh, online services for the whole month, and it's you know there's still a lot of these are offline, so it's affecting real estate transactions, you know traffic bills, tickets, and so on. Um, so that's a huge one, and you know it's just it's it's ongoing, and so again as it's ongoing, you know there's not a lot of uh, information about uh, uh, exactly what happened and what tends to happen in these um, in these breaches. These cyber attacks and ransomware attacks is we tend to have um, the real details six months or a year later um, after the FBI has done research after you know forensics um, cyber uh, people have gone in and said what exactly happened what files changed you know who did it come from uh, because we have these claims black cat by society but we don't know for sure exactly what happened. Uh, what we do know is that over time, especially when we look at like last year's breaches and, and 2020 breaches, um, we know where uh, what the techniques that are usually used. And uh, as we'll find out as we keep talking about, you know, so oftentimes it's something like uh, innocuous email. You clicked when you shouldn't have clicked and whoops, it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that many times. Uh, I know we do that in training as well. And, and it's just it's just never ending. Ted Mayashiba, you were going to add something. Well, the the IRS has just sent out a new warning uh, to all U.S. citizens about the increase in SMS text messaging uh, campaigns, which are looking for ways to separate, new ways to separate you from your money. So these text messages come in claiming to be from the IRS. And because we're getting more and more into the self-service mode, right, people are wanting to do things themselves, go in for inquiries, how much is my tax bill, <clears throat> e-file my taxes. What they're doing is sending a text message to you with, with a link that looks like an IRS page and asks you to start filling it out because of some pretext that they have saying, you owe us money and you'll be able to clear this up 
and avoid penalties if you log into your account. Click here for the account. And what they've got is a page that looks just like the IRS page, and you'll go in and start entering in the information. But what the, the threat actors are doing is grabbing that information off the backside, storing that away so that they can go into your account later. And you'll get to the end of the page and they'll say, oh, there's an error here. Please try again later. And by that time, the threat actors have all your information and they can go and do everything um, to go into your bank account because they have your SSN, they have your IRS numbers, your address, they've got it all. That's a, a big deal going forward. The other issue is we're now starting to see the government say, and if you're a victim of this, please let us know. There's a phishing at irs.gov that they've put forward. <clears throat> this is a relatively new thing where the government is starting to encourage people to report so that they can uh, figure out where and, and what is happening, you know, send copies of these pages, send copies of these links to them. Uh, companies have been loath to let this information out or admit to any kind of breach because it affects their share price. And it's embarrassing. Let's face it. It's embarrassing to say, you know, I've even taken down. So um, the government has now said, no, you guys have to tell us. If you've been breached, you need to tell us. And, and we need to be able to inform those people out there fighting cybercrime uh, about what the latest techniques are so that we can, so they can do something about it. Well, I am actually glad that they're asking people to report it now because in the past, as you said, that didn't happen and, you know, nothing was happening. Nothing, no one was reporting anything. They weren't able to gather any data. No one was able to stop anything or prevent something like that from happening in the future. So I'm actually glad that they're doing this. I think it's a little late. <laughs> they should have maybe started on that earlier, but I'm glad that they're doing it. And, uh, you know, hopefully that will make some uh, improvements in the system in the in the future. I don't know, but I certainly hope so. It's it's to me, it's just very very scary because it's like everything you do, you know, is is putting you in in the line of fire for a potential hack. Pretty much anything that you do online, anything you do with your phone, anything, you know, any any device that you're working with, it's putting you in the line of fire, and that's and that's a really scary thing. And that's why I wanted to have you guys on again, um, as I know I have you guys on quite frequently because cybersecurity, as Ted Flitner said. In the beginning, it's not just one month of cybersecurity awareness. It's actually every month, all year long. Um, well, let's back up a bit and talk about cybersecurity risks in general. What are the most common types of trends that we're seeing today in cyber attacks and ransomware and so forth? Yeah, so one of the uh, uh, security organizations, the security software organizations, this is a Hornet Security, uh, their 2022 uh, ransomware report found that 60% of attacks came from phishing attempts. And that's phishing, that's P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, phishing. Um, you know, and that's where you've, you've got some, you know, targeted, it's different than, you know, your typical spam, where I'm just uh, going to have you click on a link. I'm going to try and basically uh, you know, get some information back from you. You, you know, so um, phishing, I'll kind of break this down kind of definition-wise. Basic phishing, it is that kind of spray and pray. Uh, you send out a whole lot of emails and hope that somebody is going to, um, 
not just click on something, but actually fill out some information for you. Uh, spear phishing uh, is the term that we call. That's usually where there's a little bit of information um, that's relevant to the person, uh, maybe some kind of interest group, some kind of concern, some kind of, something that's relevant to them that's maybe different from the rest of society. So it's kind of like, oh, that, that must be related to me. Um, and then there's catfishing, right? That's fun. Um, catfishing is where we say we're adopting, uh, targeting people by kind of adopting a fake persona, a, a fake personality, and then trying to get some kind of relationship with them, with them so they'll, you know, release some information that you can utilize. Um, whaling, this is fun. This is targeting a, a specific person. This is most common for, for the business folks where we see uh, these ransomware attacks where it's an email or an SMS from a C-level executive who's traveling. Hey, I'm over in Europe. We need to do this transfer right now. Can you please try, please process this you know, financial transaction immediately? I can't do it because I'm over in Europe. You know? And so it's, you're, you're taking advantage of the, the fact that people want to help out. They want to do the right thing, and they want to do the right thing by the boss. You know, so that's very kind of targeted. Um, and then there's vishing. This is new. Um, this is a voicemail phishing. So it's basically, uh, you know, you're calling somebody and, you know, leaving that message. Uh, like Ted said, um, kind of the phishing where in that case, that's an SMS. In this case, you know, it's a voicemail where you're calling and saying, you know, this is the IRS. You owe us money, you know, or there's there's this issue that you need to resolve. You need to call this number back or, you know, go to this website and fill it out and resolve this thing. You know, so you're you're targeting um, kind of that channel, voicemail as opposed to email. So we're you know we're getting this in different attack surfaces. You know, we're getting the SMS messages, we're getting the emails at us, we get voicemails at us. When we visit websites, this was the New Hampshire uh, lottery. Um, it was their website, the public website for the lottery that was hacked. You know, so you go to the website, um, as Ted, you know, mentioned with that fake IRS website that people are directed to in the SMS message, you know, it's it's the website that's fake. Um, you could actually, uh, like for the for the uh, lottery, it was a real valid, proper public website that was hacked. And so, um, you know, if there's some kind of transaction in there, they could be grabbing your, you know, the, the criminals could be grabbing your information. Or they could just bring down, in some cases, they'll just take it offline. As in, uh, you know, hacking this going on in, in Iran right now. I mean, there's, this is like, you know, state actors between countries. You know, there's this um, uh, anonymous um, has publicly said, they went to Iran, they said, hey, you know, publicly said, we're going to attack you. And, you know, there's uh, two days later, a big website for, you know, the state run media for the, the country of Iran, you know, was taken down. You know, so there's kind of different ways that uh, things are being attacked. Yeah, well, what are some of the general steps that companies can take to secure their data, whether it's private or public sector or whatever? Mm -hmm. what, what can they do to protect, the, uh, protect their data? Uh, well, it always starts with training. You know, <laughs> well, it starts with risk, risk assessments and, and then training, and then you know, taking these action steps depending on what they're doing already, what they're not doing already. Uh, risk assessments, we you know, go into more detail, uh, but you know, knowing knowing where the problems are, knowing where you're 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 weak and vulnerable. 
um, training your people. You know, we got to talk about this every day. We got to talk about this. You know, this is a this is not an IT problem. This is not a uh, security officer problem. This is everybody's problem in the office place for the company. And the same thing at home. It's it's everybody's uh, problem at home. So we need to have this awareness and doing things like having strong passwords and using multi-factor authentication. That means you got a uh, password and then you also have a second authentication like a text message that goes to your phone or a little key you put in the USB drive. Boink, you know, it says, um, this is really me. You know information plus you have control of something like a phone or a device. That's a multi-factor. That's really powerful because it gives you a whole lot greater assurance that it's really you that's logging in, uh, you know, to whether it's to uh, like a VPN or to, you know, an email system or to a domain account. Really you and not just um, somebody in India who we can't see or in Russia who's a hacker that we can't see because we're in a virtual, you know, workspace. We can't see who's, who's trying to come in the door. Um, so that's basic stuff. And doing encryption of files. Uh, data encryption is something that's required for HIPAA. It's required for other uh, compliance situations uh, like GBLA, you know, related to finance. Uh, encrypt your files. And, you know, one that I'll just throw in here, minimum necessary. It's an idea that comes from HIPAA um, where we're, we're trying to limit the amount of information that workers are exposed to to limit the risk um, if any one of those workers either does the wrong thing or you know gets compromised then we, we limit um, the amount of, of stuff that the bad guys can take something else we can do I want to revisit uh, Ted Flintner's point about whaling and and fishing and the like one of the ways that the criminals can figure out who in the administrative chain has the power to authorize payments is by looking at your LinkedIn account or looking at Facebook. Um, between those two, you can probably tell when people are out of town, when they're out on a business trip. And so one of the tips is don't post that. You can post when you come back and say how successful the trip was. That's fine. But don't say, I'm going on this business trip to Europe for two weeks to do these things, because that's a signal to somebody out there who says, well, this is my opportunity to take their email address, um, fake that email address, make it look like it comes from that person, send it to the finance officer and say, look, we need to, as Ted talked about, we need to send this check to this vendor because ah, I screwed up and it's got to be done now. And so the finance person says, well, you know, yeah, okay. Um, I guess we'll do that. And I, I've had a client where that happened. And, and the president comes back and says, what's this $6,000, um, you know, transfer to this company in Kansas City? We don't have any vendors over there and said, well, I got this email that says, that said you had screwed up and you needed to send this off. And he says, no, that wasn't from me. And so when we tracked that down, sure enough, it was a phishing attack that 
that was uh, a spoofed email that faked out the finance people. And it was a small company, you know, and the criminal knew that it was under the $10,000 threshold. So nobody would question it. And that, that really blew a hole in that month's budget. I can assure you. But uh, those are the kinds of things that, you know, we shouldn't be helping the criminals to to send fake emails to us and phishing, because really that's one of the, the biggest uh, issues currently uh, for large, you know, well, like Uber. Uber got hacked recently because somebody in, internally was was phished, had a, uh, a link they clicked on that they shouldn't have. And that just sent this this large um, cascading effect that caused a few million dollars in damage. So let's let's not make it easier for the criminal. And we really want to we want to start a stop fishing campaign. <laughs> no more fishing. You know, American Airlines you know recently um, had that you know breach that you mentioned, and that was a result of a fishing campaign as well. You know, and they say, and, and to to date, American Airlines has has not disclosed how many. Uh, individual customers' information has been, you know, uh, breached. Um, you know, basically all they've said is there was a limited number of staff whose email was compromised. You know, it, but it was compromised. They they have recognized uh, that there was a targeted phishing campaign that was going on. Um, so in that case, you know, again, uh, so many of these uh, comes through phishing, which comes uh, primarily through emails. And we'll go back to what I said. You know, first. Number one, first most important thing to do is risk assessments. After that, it's the training. And the training, part of the training is in that example, as Ted Mayashiba was explaining, you know, we got to tell our, our team when we have these kinds of requests, which kind of seem really strange and kind of out of sequence, you know, um, that you should question them. There, there should be a you know, some kind of confirmation loop that goes back to upper management to say, hey, this looks a little stinky, looks a little suspect. Is this really legit? And, you know, management's going to say, I'm not going to get upset when you ask these things. I'm not going to look at it as a challenge or insubordination. You're being smart. You're protecting the company. You know, so that's the kind of thing that you can train your people is here's a process uh, to follow when you're unsure. Please don't just, you know, follow the process of, okay, I'll, I'll do what seems kind of a little bit weird. Uh, let's, you know, have a process for what to do to, to find out if it's, it's legit. That's a training issue. That's an internal human resources issue. Yeah. And let me, let me come back to something that you said earlier in this question that I was asking you. Um, and I think we kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent. So I want to bring it back just for, for our listeners. Um, I know that one of the important steps that you guys always say is to update your hardware and your software and, um, you know, look for things that you should be doing and looking at newer machines that have maybe facial rec recognition and so forth. Uh, can you guys comment on that just a little bit? Well, newer machines uh, do have built-in ways of encrypting the hard drive. And with the newer operating systems, you have to have those chips uh, within the machine. Uh, there are also um, items such as uh, facial recognition built-in so that the camera is looking at you and knows whether you, it's you in front of the screen. And if you walk away, it, it uh, blanks out the screen and puts it to sleep and locks the keyboard. 
So that's that's a kind of a nice thing if you're, you know, in a coffee shop and you have to be distracted and you walk away. <clears throat> it also notices if you're not looking at the screen and it dims the screen. So that anybody who's shoulder surfing, you know, looking over your shoulder to see what you're working on, uh, it makes it harder. And it also uh, puts a screen on your screen kind of uh, to make it harder to see. Because it knows, hey, well, you're the primary user's not using the screen, so we can do that. <clears throat> and so that's a wonderful way of uh, making sure you're more secure um, out in public. Thank you for that. And you guys have both mentioned training time and time again. And I know that we always talk about this every time I have you on the podcast. And, and every time, uh, obviously, we're doing training together and so forth. So how important is it to train your employees at every level about the risks that are out there and, you know, how the little steps that they take can make sure that they're protected and can make the difference in whether or not they're hacked or not. And, you know, and if they are, uh, how do they can mitigate those situations quickly and efficiently? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it, you know, you really have to know um, that this is super important and this is a daily, you know, it's it's uh, everybody's job. You know, it's it's um, every level in the company. It's not certain departments. It's everybody's got some responsibility on their own because you know, we've got email coming to us all the time. You know, we're all in we all are essentially effectively in some kind of public accessible public facing you know kind of way by being connected to the internet when we're doing work you know so we're connect going to websites we got email coming to us we're all open to attack if you will so we have to know that it's everybody's job um, and it's not just the IT group it's not just security group it's not just executives or it's not just somebody in a certain group Everybody's got that responsibility, so it's important to, to keep expressing that to people. What what is important, um, you know, when I, you know, when we when we talk to people who've um, had the ransomware, uh, the serious ransomware attacks. And I was like, for example, last week I was talking with the, the CISO of, of Sony. You know, when they went through their um, big breach, you know, getting five movies stolen. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot that comes out and. What is important to start to tell people is just like your emergency escape plan that you have posted on the floor and that, you know, you do the exercise, the fire drill exercises every so often, you need to have some kind of plan for who you're going to communicate to, what are you going to do, what are you going to start shutting down, what are you going to, you know, how do you reopen um, when you have a suspected attack, when you have a ransomware attack, you know, when you clicked on something you shouldn't. What should you do? Should I pull the plug and who should I call? You know, and, and who should react? So it's important to discuss, to have those things uh, you know, talked about and planned and then to, to train those things. Well, obviously, we've always said that employee training is one of the most important things that employers need to be doing. And, and of course, they need to be doing that often. Um, how often do you guys think employees should be trained? Well, I think one of the biggest holes in training is probably temps and contract employees are timers because they're often overlooked. You know, you, you, you come into the office, for instance, uh, for those of you still coming into the office and you say, well, uh, we need a, a temp over here and, uh, just, just go to the agency and bring somebody in. They sit them down and they go, this is what you got to do. Well, part of what you have to do is train them on 
what they can and cannot do on that machine uh, while they're working there. You know, I mean, no, we don't we don't want you to go out and uh, look at your own personal stuff, because if you click on something that you shouldn't be and you release malware onto onto this computer, this is what malware does is it migrates throughout your network. So if you have somebody on the network and let's face it, everybody's on the network. If somebody makes a small mistake like that, well, then you've got something that's migrating throughout your network. If you haven't found a way to, to cut that off. And there are those, you know, the, the bad actors are getting good at bringing in new signatures that can evade some of the even best uh, antivirus. So, uh, I think training some, just some basic training, thinking about what you're going to ask somebody who's on your network on a temporary or part-time basis is critical. And I know that contract workers are a pretty popular thing now. So, you know, as, as owners, as executives, you need to think about what are you going to have them do? What are you not going to allow them to do uh, in order to keep your network safe? Yeah, the thing that to remember here is that um, almost all of the hacking, you know, um, the the big breaches, the big stories, the common stuff, the ransomwares and so on. Majority of this, it's not Mission Impossible. It is not, uh, you know, uh, real sophisticated state attacks. You know, Stuxnet and you know, using advanced tools like that. Um, those, that's the you know, China versus U.S. and, and um, recently there was another another one in the news. Um, Basically, a Chinese university, uh, you know, um, Chinese state media has claimed that uh, the NSA, our own uh, NSA, has hacked into a Chinese university and, and also to a telecom system. That kind of stuff, that's the Mission Impossible. That's uh, the really sophisticated, you know, stuff. Uh, that's rare. You know, most of this that happens, the breaches, the phishing attempts, we just mentioned American Airlines, it was a phishing, a phishing attack. Most of this is human, it's people stuff, you know, so it's not, the solution is, by and large, it's not technology. The solution, by and large, is, is human awareness, us recognizing things and doing the right action or inaction, don't click, you know, so it's a people issue. And so, you know, I view, uh, you know, we view training as uh just talking about it is part of training. Talking about, hey, look what just happened in the news. Hey, look, American Airlines. Look at it. That was an email phishing attack or campaign. So, you know, it's not necessarily just like classroom training or video training. It's just, just explaining that, you know, on a weekly basis, what's going on. As we, we opened up the show today, we talked about the pervasiveness of all of this. Talking about that um, helps bring it home for people that, hey, I need to be on this all the time. Um, so that's a form of training. And how often, you know, that's ongoing. And because we know that what we don't talk about is not important. Right? We know we learned that as little kids. And we know that what our managers and executives talk about, what they measure, that's important. I really better do that stuff. Everything else is, eh, you know, kind of lip service. So, you know, doing some kind of metrics, doing some kind of quizzes, doing some kind of, uh, discussion during the weekly meetings, staff meetings, daily or, or weekly staff meetings, 
um, keeping it in the conversation tells people that it, it is part of the job. Yeah, I think that's very important. And I want to come back to something that you guys both have talked about. Uh, and I just want to, again, kind of summarize it. Uh, we talk about this in training a lot when we do our joint training together. And I'm going to use something that Frank Abagnale uh, has said publicly in the past, and that is your biggest problem generally is the human beings, the weakest link. And you guys always refer to that weakest link. And, and I just wanted to just make sure people are aware of that. And, and that's why we, when we're doing our training, we, we talk about that a lot. Uh, let's talk about employers with remote employees. We've seen this, you know, grow a lot in popularity, of course, since COVID. Uh, if you have remote employees, what are the most important things that employers should be doing to protect their company's data, especially with those employees that are working from their homes? Yeah, a couple of key things that, that can be done. You know, one is uh, give them a business computer uh, so that they're not doing business on their home game station, you know, their home computer that everybody else is sharing. When you give somebody a business computer, you're saying, um, you work for me, and when you work for me, you work on this device, and nobody else is supposed to touch this device, and I can lock it down and so on and make it, uh, you know, administrated by my IT group and, you know, and, and you're not going to complain that it's locked down because it's not yours. It's your business machine. You can do whatever you want with your home machine. So, you know, um, having a business uh, machine, uh, that's something they can do. And, and I said this earlier, strong passwords and multi-factor authentication. When someone's outside the office, um, you know, and they're, and they're logging into work, it's not like they're coming in the front door of the office where the security, you know, desk can say, Hey, I don't see your badge. You don't look like you belong here. Um, or I don't recognize you. I work here every day. Who are you? You know, we can't see you. Um, so multi-factor authentication is important because when somebody gets your info, that's your, your username and password. And if you used your, you know, your, uh, kid's name and your birthday and things like that, we can get that from Facebook so we can guess that social engineering. If somebody can get that information, then they, they get to log in as you. And so having multi-factor authentication says that you need info and you also need a physical asset that most likely is still in your control. Um, and if it's not in your control, that's when you're calling the police department and you're calling your IT department and says, hey, I lost my, I lost my device for multi-factor authentication. You know, so those are, those are some, some basic things there. For those people who are <clears throat> remote employees and we're out of the COVID in a, in a sense, but there, there is um, the factor that there are a lot of people who are remote. And I think that we're approaching the point in cybersecurity where in order to lock down your network, that it may be time to consider a FIDO key. FIDO key is a classification of a hardware device that goes into your USB port that acts as the uh, gateway and it almost allows you to be passwordless. In other words, your, your pass into the network is the presence or the presence of the key. If you don't have the key, you don't get on, period. And there's a guarantee there that uh, the person that owns that, it's almost like a key to your car. You know, you can't start the car if you don't have the, the fob or the key. The same thing, you can't get into work without the key. Uh, and I think having that approach 
to uh, hardware, if you're going to get a, a business computer from the company to your remote employee, uh, I think you have leverage to be able to say, you've got to use this key and uh, uh, use that or you can't work remotely. So one of the things that we generally talk about when we're doing training together is if you're working at home is to perhaps separate your networks. Can you guys talk about that? Because I know I have more than one network at my homes to make sure that when people are visiting that they're not on the same network that I am. Can you guys talk about that just a little bit and maybe uh, things like the use of uh, a VPN? Yeah, so there's, uh, you know, creating a, basically what we're going to create is a virtual network. We're, you know, using something called a managed uh, switch. Um, you can, which is a hardware device. You, we can actually take uh, one network and split it into multiple virtual networks. And, and when we split it into virtual networks, um, people on network A can't talk to people on network B. You know, so there's there's a there's a separation between the two um, or three. And you can create, uh, for example, at the home, you can create a business uh, virtual network. You can create a family virtual network. You can create a, a guest virtual network. You can create a kids one. And for each of those, the, the real fun is for each of those, you can create separate rules on those. You might, uh, for like, for example, for the, you know, the kid's Wi-Fi network, you might just shut it off at a certain time of night um, and not turn it on until a certain time in the morning. I like so that idea. Do, That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can do fun things like that. That's a little more sophisticated. But the idea is you create these virtual networks. And in the office place, this is, this is done in the office place where we're, we're actually uh, maybe separating the accounting and finance department from, say, the engineering group or from the sales organization. You know, in sales, you know, they log in. Maybe they're on the sales network. Um, and so, again, we go back to this idea, goes back to HIPAA, minimum necessary, where um, the employee doesn't have access to the data across the whole organization. That's, you know, not putting all the eggs in one basket that somebody might steal. You know, so that's um, kind of separation. So again, this, you're creating virtual networks and you're using a hardware device to do that. Uh, the other thing that you're doing with, um, ultimately with hardware devices is a VPN. That's a virtual private network. It's not private, it's virtual private network. So you can create that with a hardware firewall. The way it might work is at the office, you've got a firewall and you set up the VPN so that people will connect to it from externally and They'll, when they log in to do that on their computer, they'll have to put in their username, password, and some kind of multi-factor authentication. And it's going to create an encrypted session between that computer and the office. So now they can access the office network in this encrypted channel. So they can be on um, what's an otherwise less secure Wi-Fi at home um, or, you know, situation where they're at Starbucks. You know, but they're they're having this communication on this uh, connected encrypted session between them and the office. Right? That's a VPN, and so there's VPN software that you can subscribe to. You can, you know, you get this. Um, lots of different uh, choices there. A lot of things are available. It's very affordable. You know, 100 bucks a year, you get the VPN software. What you don't know with those kinds of, subs of subscriptions is you're not controlling. Who else is using you know, kind of the VPN pool? So ultimately, you you don't control all of the security there. In having your own VPN that's managed by your company, then you know that's fully under your company's IT control. Uh, so that's that's usually where we like to go. Yeah. Uh, but VPNs use them use them when you're outside the office. 
For sure. Well, we've done this podcast together many times and we've done training and implementations together since 2009. And with the addition of high tech into the HIPAA world, it really helped out a lot as far as giving us some guidance as far as the security measures that have to be taken. Medical providers and insurance companies have always been a major target for cyber attacks. Let's talk about the HIPAA world and the HIPAA protections and laws and regulations designed to protect medical information and the need for risk assessments. First of all, what is a risk assessment? And then maybe we can go from there. Yeah, so risk assessment is, is basically looking at uh, what data do I have that I care about? And that in from the HIPAA pur purview, then it's protected health information according to the definition, you know, and the, the legal federal definitions there. Um, you know, but it's a risk assessment generally, it can relate to, hey, I've got some sensitive information about customers or I've got, uh, you know, strategic information. I'm a startup and I've got strategic information. If it's Sony, it's, I've got movies and TV shows. You know, so that's, you know, so it's looking at what is it that you want to protect and where does it move around um, in your organization? How does it come into your organization? How does it leave your organization? What devices does it go to? You know, so you're looking at all your stuff, you know, the assets that you have, the network you have, and you're looking at how data moves around. And then you're going to look at um, what are the different ways that data can be exfiltrated, stolen from us, uh, accidentally and um, intentionally. And then saying, what's the likelihood that this could happen? And then saying, what would be the outcome if it did happen? How severe would it be? And so you're kind of ultimately going through this whole thing and ranking and rating Here's where my risks are, and here's how big that risk is, you know, uh, in terms of severity, and kind of using that to, to guide you and say, okay, what should I do about it? And and as part of the risk assessment, you may say, hey, you know, the chances of me being struck by lightning is is almost zero, but if I was to get struck by lightning, I'd probably be dead, you know. So I really want to avoid that, you know. So it, it helps um, putting that weighting to the severity of of this uh, probably rare occurrence. Now we know that uh, ransomware and cyber attacks are not so rare, you know, so it's much more common, but that's what a risk assessment is in general. Yeah, and, and for those listeners that would like more information about that, uh, please take a look back at our season three because we did an entire podcast just on risk assessments. So, uh, and that was with Ted and Ted. So that's really valuable information. So that's some, something that's a good resource for you guys. If you are a HIPAA covered entity, such as a provider of healthcare, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how important do you think an electronic risk assessment is and why? Probably rate that at about 11. Uh, I'd go, yeah, okay, I'd go with 11. Um, this is really the basis, um, the foundation of your, of your whole, um, security. This is the foundation of your business, really. Um, if you get, if you're a, a HIPAA covered entity, um, to get a breach is really a, a major no-no. Um, those people who, get electronic you know, risk assessments also find that that's the basis for cyber insurance. You know, uh, so many of these cyber insurance companies have been hit with huge claims uh, that many of them are insisting that that, that, that risk assessment be done uh, basically to show that you are taking 
practical, reasonable steps to implement best practice for cybersecurity. And if you don't, they're not going to write any insurance for you. That's right. And if you are a you know HIPAA-covered entity, um, why is it important? Number one, it's required by law. And um, in almost every one of the breach settlements that uh, the Office of Civil Rights, which prosecutes uh, HIPAA violations, uh, in, in almost every one of their you know statements of, of settlement, they lead it with um, a risk assessment was not done, or it was an inadequate risk assessment, or it was too old, and you know it didn't it didn't do they didn't do the very first thing that they should have done by law and by common sense, which is to find out and to 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 put some effort into discovering where they're at risk. I think risk assessment is is probably the most critical thing for most businesses. If you haven't done it, you absolutely need it. It's like I said before, it's the foundation of your business. Every business is uh, using the internet. It's an integral part of being able to do any business now. And so you have to do it. The other item I want to circle back on was VPNs. Now I realize that a lot of them out there are free or low cost. Uh, we don't usually recommend that because often what is found is that behind the scenes, the VPN provider is taking data and selling it. So that's why we think it's worthwhile to pay full freight, get a good VPN that you can control and it is set up professionally so that you maintain your security. Yeah, good good information there. Thank you. What about we talked about HIPAA covered entities. Well, let's talk about you know other entities that maybe aren't HIPAA entities. What about the basic employer out there? You know, their widget makers, their floor covering distributors, their manufacturers, whatever the situation is, should they be worried about this and should they be doing risk assessments as well? Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, as Ted said, it's the basis of the, of the business. And so, you know, for example, one thing that a risk assessment includes is is um, what happens when you have a disaster, you know, disaster preparedness. What happens when the power goes out? What happens when in Southern California, what happens when you have an earthquake? Um, what's your business continuity plan? What happens when your cloud provider, you know, gets hacked or goes offline? Um, you know, and so if you haven't thought through that, then when it does happen, your business craters, kind of depending on what your business is, that could really, uh, you could lose customers, it could just stall your business, you could lose money, you know, right? So, so thinking through these things is important. Um, and as, as Ted mentioned, uh, cybersecurity insurance, um, it's not just for people who are under HIPAA. Cybersecurity insurance is available to all sorts of businesses, and we highly, highly recommend it. You should have it. Um, to get covered, you're going to have to do some kind of risk assessment. There's going to be, you know, at, at least some kind of detailed questionnaire uh, that's given to you by the, you know, by your underwriter. You know, who's going to say, are you, are you using encryption? What, you know, do you use any cloud services? What kind of passwords do you use? You know, et cetera. Um, there are people working from home or are they in an office? You know, so it's required you know, to get what you should have, which is, you know, a backup plan, which is, you know, insurance. And it's just smart because until you go through that exercise, 
you can start taking action that's completely uh, it's really not useful and 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 maybe giving you a completely false sense of security hey we've got strong antivirus but we didn't do anything you know to to deal with our weak passwords you know right. or our the way that people work from home you know so that's a that's a completely false sense of security um, so when you do a comprehensive risk assessment you're you're covering all the bases and saying here's where the holes are Right, right. Well, just for those that are listening, uh, keep in mind that HIPAA applies to all covered entities. You do not have to be a healthcare provider to be a covered entity. If you're sponsoring a health plan, if you're sponsoring a group health plan, then you are also uh, required by law to follow HIPAA guidelines and so forth. So again, even if you are not a provider, if you're sponsoring a health plan, again, you need to consider all of these HIPAA issues, which we've been talking about all along. Well, if anybody should wish to reach out to the Aditi Group, how would they do that? You can reach us online at aditigroup.com, that's A-D-I-T-I group.com, or at 855-GO-ADITI, which is also 855-462-3484. Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time today. I just wanted to let everybody know that we are doing two public privacy and security full-day privacy officer, security officer, and privacy workgroup trainings over the next couple of weeks. Aditi Group will be joining us for this training. We're going to be in South Orange County in Rancho Santa Margarita on October 18th, and we're going to be doing a live stream on that day as well, so you can also register online if you're out of area. And then we're also going to be doing a South Los Angeles County in-person training only in Santa Fe Springs, California on November 2nd. That one will not have a live stream. So again, if you want to do it online, you'll want to register for the October 18th date. Or again, if you want to be in person, you can do it in South Orange County or in South Los Angeles County. October 18th and November 2nd. So if you'd like to be trained or send your employees for this training, please visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com slash privacy training. And please take a look at our show notes for a special roundtable listener discount code. So Ted and Ted, thanks again for being my guest today for another great conversation on cybersecurity. Thank you, Dorothy. And thank you, everyone. Uh, please just be aware and be secure. Thanks, guys. All right. <laughs> Thank you. To everybody else out there, please stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Benefits Executive Roundtable, where we will be continuing this discussion on cybersecurity with Adriana Mendieta for part two of our cybersecurity series. She's going to be talking more about cybersecurity and the importance of cyber liability coverage. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835. Or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.